Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. This is Pastor Mike with the Aliante Community Baptist Church. We invite you, your family, and friends to join us as we study God's Word. So, let's begin. church and sometimes we don't realize we don't recognize that, uh, that that it's the local church that's where that's the that's the center of what we're about and the association is the closest denominational agency to the church and then those those state convention folks are way out there so so anyway uh, it's exciting to be here I enjoy coming to your church I really like the music Whoever chooses the music does a good job. It's my kind of music, so I enjoy it. Uh, I'll tell you that, that I am going through voice therapy because I have a handicap that causes me to talk too low. And so I, I'm supposed to be talking more precisely and louder. And so I'm trying. Anyway, I just ask you to bear with me. Today I want to talk to you about being a, a building a church in a pre-Christian environment. We live in a new age. The Christian worldview is no longer the predominant worldview of our nation. It is easy to see as Christians no longer influence our, our nation as they did in the golden age of Christianity. It is easy to see the worldview of our nation has changed. The majority of Americans accept media behavior as normal and those who oppose are demonized by the press and the general public. Perversion is accepted as a norm in our nation. We no longer live in a country that is guided by Christian values. In Nevada, as in many other states, 
uh, uh, recreational drugs are, made, are legal. The, the app further erodes our culture. It's a vast different, different world than the one that I was born into. Uh, I live in Las Vegas where family members are killing family members. I had some prayer meeting the other night to, you know, the shooting that was at the Mirage where cousins shot the, their cousin. And I was in a prayer meeting with a man and he said, he said that they, they were close friends. He was raised, went to high school with him. And then another time I was in a prayer meeting and the man said, I want you to pray for my cousin, funeral tomorrow, the family. And, and another man said, well, he was my cousin too. And uh, they didn't even know each other, but they were cousins because you know their, their, their cousin had been killed. Family members are killing family members. People are dying and drugs are illegal. It, it's a mess out there. Greed and pleasure and self-will control our society. Our nation is not safe. We uh, uh, exhibit no consciousness, no values, and no shame. Our nation has lost its footing and we are living in a heathen world. The golden age of Christianity was uh, between 1946 and 1964. Our nation was guided by biblical values. We were at peace, we were living the good life. Peace and contentment was the norm. Billy Graham held out uh, the famous LA Revival. It started out as a two week tent meeting and it ended up months later him preaching at the Las Vegas Coliseum where thousands of individuals were saved. Uh, that movement lasted for years. It spread from here to Europe, across uh, Africa and Asia. Uh, it was a time where people were honoring God. In 1952, we added in uh, under God to our Pledge of Allegiance. We were a country that was honoring God. In 1954, the Southern Baptist Convention uh, held a million more in 54 campaign. The idea was that we wanted to baptize a million people in a year. We didn't, but we baptized 450, uh, 475,000 uh, people that year, more than we had ever baptized in any other year because we were a Christian nation and people accepted Christian values. Things changed about 1964. We moved from what was called Christian era to the modern era. Uh, as a nation, our values changed. We often called the humanistic era. We stopped honoring God and adopted the humanistic value system. The values of the humanistic society include uh, reality is restricted uh, to, by what can be observed or proven. There's no room for faith. The pinnacle of the universe is human being. There is no such thing as God. All knowledge is inherently good. There is no evil. Humans are the highest developed animal. There is no spirit. Uh, evolution is, is not creation. Individualism, we set our own rules. Anti-authoritarianism, we did not obey authorities. Modernism was an anti-Christian worldview that affected the church. The boomer church came out of the results of the, the the modernist movement. Churches dropped accountability. One of the things we see in many churches today is we were back trying to have accountability. But churches quit holding people accountable for their actions. Attendees were not members, they were just attendees. 
Therefore, they had the church had no authority over them. Members lived private lives. They came to church on Sunday morning, and then nobody knew what they did all week long. Uh, individual values uh, were expressed. There appeared to be no absolutes, and worship became seeker friendly. Around 1994, the world began to promote a, a different worldview called utopian worldview. Under the utopian worldview, uh, the, the uh, mob rules. If you ever notice it, said they, they say on TV all the time, the survey says that's what makes the rules. That's mob rules. Whenever it's what the majority say, that's mob rules. Modernism says it feels good, do it. The, the utopians say whatever the people think is right is right. Both led our nation from being the most powerful nation of the world to one that is, that is suffering in its image around the world. Uh, prior to 1964, we were a Christian nation. From 1964 to 1994, we, uh, we were a post-Christian nation. Now we've raised three generations of children who were without God and on what I call a post-Christian world. The world we live in is not much different from the first century Christians. So how are we to, to reach people in the post-Christian era, the pre-Christian era? Uh, I believe Paul's letter explains how. Let's read the second Corinthians chapter five, starting in verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creator creature. Old things pass away. Behold, new things come. Now all things are from God, who reconciles to us himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that, Christ, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not accounting their trespasses against them, as he committed to us the work of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making his appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. I think that as the church in the, the post-Christian, pre-Christian era, we uh, are to be incarnational Christians, indigenous Christians, and intentional Christians. Now, let me explain what these three words mean to us. First one is incarnational Christians. We are born again. No one can live the Christian life without first being born again. Because Christ is in us is the hope of glory. Every person is a sinner, and uh, we all were the same before we came to Christ. We were slaves to sin, and we were, were held in bondage with no hope. Uh, we were destined for hell. The scriptures say all have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. And we were just like the world is today without Christ. But a miracle happened. While we were yet sinners, Jesus uh, took a punishment for us and died uh, in our place. The free gift of, of God is forgiveness of our sins, freedom from slavery, and eternal life with Jesus in heaven. Praise God, he has done it all. We are free. Verse 17 says that, that we are a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Our old nature is being replaced with a new nature. Uh, in our old nature, our, we were immoral, impure, 
a sensual, uh, full of idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, disputes, drunkenness, and carousing. But in our new life, we've had taken on the nature of Christ. And Christ in us is the hope of glory. It is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. An incarnational Christian is a person who allows Christ to live through them. And so the, the, in order for us to reach the, this century, the people of this generation, we need to die to self, and we need to let Christ live through us. And uh, I, I chose a passage. There's a lot of passages that I could have chosen. Uh, to, to describe what an incarnational Christian is, but I chose a passage out of Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. And, and it says, Behold, even if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one of you looking to yourself so that you too will be, not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thereby uh, fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own words, and then he will have reason to, for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one who will bear his own load. The one who is caught, taught the word is to share all the good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived if God is not mocked, for whoever a man, whatever a man sows, so he will reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit from the spirit reaps eternal life. Let us not lose heart doing good. Uh, for in due times we will reap uh, uh, if we do not sow where we're weary. So then, while we were we had the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those of the household of faith. I think that in this passage there are nine things that should characterize a, a in, incarnational Christian. Uh, the, the first thing is Brethren, verse 1 says, Brethren, even if one is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual should restore him in gentleness. It's a matter of attitude. It's a way we approach people. Sometimes we, we approach people as a cop. We look and say, you're no dirty, rotten scoundrel. You've got to turn or burn. That's not what God said to do. What God said to do is that we're to go and meet this. We're to go and, and, and approach them uh, and say and say things like, uh, uh, "I see that you need help. Let me give you a hand." The attitude should be one of a rescuer and not a cop. If we see a brother caught in a sin, we should we should stop and not ignore them, and we should not condemn them, but we should go and help them. This is what Jesus did with the woman caught in adultery. He didn't condemn her. He just told her to go and sin no more. He didn't ignore it, but he, he addressed it. He was a rescuer. Uh, the, man, the woman at the well who had, had had seven husbands, 
he, he rescued her, the tax collector, he rescued him. We are to be rescuers instead of judges. The first thing that we are to do as Christians, if you try to rescue your friends who are sinning, they will respond much better than if you just say you're a dirty, rotten sinner uh, and you return or burn. We need to be careful how we approach those who, who especially those of our household. You know, it, it's really important that we do that with our, with our family members. Because too often, we, we're more judgmental of our family members than we are of people in the world. The second verse says, bear one another's burdens. I am my brother's keeper. Whenever I see my brother needing help, I need to step in and I shouldn't wait. I shouldn't wait to be asked. Jesus did not wait for us to be asked before he saved us. He said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. We need to recognize that we should take the step. In August of 2015, I was having a heart incident. I uh, uh, ended up having to have bypass or have a, a stents put in. Uh, as the, I was teaching classes, and one of the, I was walking between the two buildings at our office, and one of the students said, Pastor, he said, let me carry your books. And he carried my books over the class for me. And I, I thought, I've always thought of how wonderful it was that, I, that he helped me to make it to the class that I was teaching. He was being Christ to me. He was stepping in and carrying my burdens. And we need to recognize that God expects us not to wait to be asked, but to step in and carry our brother's burdens. If you will open your eyes and see the people around you, you can make a difference in their life. And they're going to say, why are you making a difference in my life? And then you're going to have opportunity to say, because Jesus Christ has saved me. So the third characteristic is we need a realistic view of ourselves. We have no value other than that Christ lives in us. Too often we think that I'm pretty good hot stuff. You know, I've got this, I've got this doctorate, I've, I've done all these things. You know, people should, should, should bow down when I walk by. No, what makes us have value is having Christ in us. We need to have the right attitude. Nobody uh, is better than anybody else. Uh, we shouldn't have a flair to bow attitude. Our value comes from Christ. We are special to Christ. He is the one who's made us. And the, the star athlete or the, the uh, supporter uh, are all equal in Christ's eyes. We need to recognize that, that uh, one of the things that, that we sometimes don't do is we don't recognize that the poor bum sitting on the street corner begging for uh, uh, your change, uh, he's just as valuable to Jesus Christ as you are. And he is a person who needs to be recognized as a person. And we need to, to pay attention to him. The fourth characteristic of an international Christian is that you bear your own burdens. I can't blame you for my mistakes. And I should not expect you to take my, to carry my burdens. No one in this country should be paying my bills. No one needs to dig me out of my hole. And no one needs to carry my burdens for me. God said, that we are to bear our own burdens. Uh, I'm responsible for my life. And I cannot blame anybody else for my mistakes. 
but if someone comes along and helps me, I need to accept the help. But it's not because I, I've gone and expected it. It's because they've offered it to me. Because Christ has promised that he'll help us carry the burden. But he expects us to not whine. He expects us to, to be about doing what we're supposed to do. The fifth characteristic is an attitude of appreciation. We need to learn to say thank you. We need to send, send gift cards. I, uh, this week, uh, I, I spent Tuesday mentoring a, a man, and, uh, and, and I, I do that often. And so uh, then on Saturday, I got a little card in the mail, and he thanked me for giving him a day. And I thought, that's really nice. He must have a wife who told him to, to do that. <laughs> Because I know I didn't think about it. But he thought about it, and, and, and I thought that was really nice. But we need to have an attitude where we say thank you whenever people help us. Too often we uh, just uh, we just take it for granted that they're going to do that. And whenever someone shows us the way, we need to learn to say thank you. Have an attitude of appreciation. All these things add up to you looking like Jesus. And that's what we're talking about, is we need to, to look like Jesus if we're going to be indigenous people. And because Christ in us is the hope of glory. Verse 7 and 8 says, live a spirit-controlled life. Uh, God knows all about you. You can't fake it with him. He knows the motives of your heart. Uh, he has filled you with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit. All of us have these. You say, but I only have one or two of them. No. It's, it's one fruit. A lot of vitamins, but one fruit. And uh, we need to sow in the spirit and not after the flesh. Because people are looking. They're trying to find out who you are. Uh, the person who sows in the spirit will show Christ to the world. There is temptation on every side. If you think that you're not being tempted, then you must be falling. Because there's temptation everywhere. Uh, I, I, I know that I should not eat sugar because I'm diabetic. But you know, whenever my daughter-in-law I know that because I live on a golf course. I hear that sound in my house. <laughs> yeah. But temptation is everywhere. We need to understand that, that we're going to be tempted. When my daughter-in-law makes a nice dessert, I, I, I'll say, I'll just take a sliver of that. But then after I've taken the sliver, then I have this sugar rush, and I think, uh-oh, I shouldn't have had that sliver. But it was tempting, and I fell. And, and there are many ways in our day that we're tempted to, uh, tempted to watch one more TV show instead of going to bed on time, tempted to, to, to watch TV instead of reading your Bible, tempted to do a lot of things. So we're all, we all are subject to temptation, but we need to be controlled by the Spirit. Verse 9 has the seventh characteristic. It says, says do good. It is not enough that we avoid evil, but we must do good. Uh, we, God has promised uh, that we will reap a harvest if we 
to be good. And Jeremiah says, seek the welfare of the city where, you have, where I have sent you. I will grow you there where you are planted. Doing good is like the Samaritan. Uh, he, uh, he saw the injured man and he stopped and did that. Doing good doesn't mean that we do what we're supposed to do. It means we do the, go the extra mile. Uh, too often we, uh, uh, we don't uh, do, we don't do good, we, we ignore it. This morning, uh, I got gas, and the lady in the car next to me was sitting with her head down like this. And when I got there, and when I started to leave, uh, I, I, I went over to her car just to see if she's okay, and she was just resting because she she was tired. But I, I thought I thought I started to say, well, I could just leave her alone. But I thought there may be something wrong with her. So doing that kind of thing is what God is talking about. Doing good, we're supposed to be uh, uh, we're supposed to be caring for, for people. We're supposed to see things, take the blinders off and see how we can intercede. Uh, one of my friends just adopted a, 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 a young girl, a four-year-old girl, uh, who had come out of a, a, had been abandoned, and she was, uh, uh, and they, they didn't, they did not need to adopt her. They have three other kids, but they thought this child needs a loving home, and so they reached out and adopted. It's that kind of going the extra mile, being the good Samaritan is what he's talking about here. Doing good. Too many of times we don't do that, so we need to do that. Verse 10 says <coughs> that, that we are to care for all men, and uh, this means that we are to be involved in society. Uh, society is evil, uh, but we are to stand up for good. We are to defend the weak, the old, and the poor. Uh, too often we, we ignore that, and we should be doing that. Jesus said that we are to be activist people. Uh, we, uh, are, he's asking us to help those in need. He's asking us that we would stand for justice, that we would stand for honesty and integrity and uprightness. We should no longer tolerate evil, but we should be activists for good. Now, how does that look like? That means that you vote. That means that you speak up. That means that you care for people. It says, care for all men. Uh, we are not stand, we're not bystanders in this world. We are involved in this world. God says that in order for us to be Christ, Christ did not ignore anybody who was in need. Cared for all men. Finally, it says in verse 10, work for the good of the community. There are two principles here. We are to be salt and light. We are to be salt, making a difference in our community. Salt adds flavor. We're to add salt, add flavor to our life. We're also supposed to be light. Whenever we're adding flavor and someone says, why are you doing this? We need to be able to, to uh, say, I'm doing this because Jesus has told me uh, to make a difference in my community. We are looking for opportunities to tell people that. 
and as indigenous, as in incarnational people, we are to be about doing that. And the second part of this is Jesus planted you here. It's no accident that you live in Southern Nevada. God said to the Hebrew people, bloom where you were planted. The entire community will be blessed because of you. And so we need to, we're here in this community because God put us here. He did not, he could have put us in, in uh, Sun City, Arizona, uh, where everything is sweet and kind. But he put us in Sin City. <laughs> and, and he wants you to bloom here. He knows you're tough because the, the weak ones he gets sent down to Sun City, Arizona. The strong ones he sends here. Because it, it takes strength to live in this society here. So when you're saved, you become a new person. Uh, you are to be ambassadors for Christ. Uh, you, are, you, have, you get a new beginning. And these nine characteristics just help you understand what you should do. First, you need to look out for the other guy. You're, you know, somebody's looking out for you. You need to look out for other people. Uh, you need to bear one another's burdens. Step in and help when you can help. You need to, to have a, a realistic view of yourself. Recognize that, that, that God didn't make any junk, but God also, you're just a, a servant of the Most High God. He, he made you to serve him. Third, have uh, a fourth, bear one another's burdens. Uh, or bear your own burdens, I mean. Don't, don't expect someone to help you. Accept it when they offer Attitude of appreciation, living a spirit-controlled life, doing uh, good whenever you can, caring for all men and working for the good of the community. Those are all the things that an indigenous person does. But it's not, but I said you have to be three things. You've got to be indigenous, you've got to be, you got to be in, uh, incarnational, indigenous, and uh, uh, intentional. Indigenous means that you you bloom or you're planted. It means that, that you become a part of this community. Uh, historically, we used to be able to just say, come to church with me and people would come. They don't do that anymore. When you say come to church, say, why should I come? Well, first you have to show them and and then, you have, then, then they will come. So how are you going to show them? Well, you're going to be their ambassador. Christ ambassador. Christ said that we are to be his ambassador. You know what the role of an ambassador is? It is to live in a, in a country and represent the country that, that, they, that they're, they're, is their home. Our home is heaven. And we're supposed to live in southern Nevada, but live like we're living in heaven. We're supposed to be a part of the PTA, the uh, Boys Cubs Girls Club, to be a part of the, the Chamber of Commerce, be a part of, uh, of Lions International, be a part of Gideon's, be a part of all the organizations of the community. And, and be there so people can see you. Uh, indigenous means that you're not cloistered in this building, but that you're out in the world. You, 
on Sunday you come to worship God, but on Monday through Saturday, you're in the world and you're representing Jesus. You're indigenous to this community. Too many people become a holy cluster. They don't, they don't uh, get outside of their circle. Um, you need to, to be involved in this community. I know it's a terrible thing, but you need to be on the Homeowners Association Board of Directors. It's, a, it's hard. To, I have a friend who's on the Board of Directors. It's hard. Nobody likes you. They yell at you. They, they, they blame you for all the things that went wrong. But if you can do that and be a Christian, just think of the witness you're making. And I'm just using that as an example. There's a lot of places that you, you, God gives you a passion for something. Go there and be Christ there. That's what being indigenous is all about. And then the other thing is we need to be intentional. Christ said that we should beg them that they should know Jesus Christ. We should be about telling them about Jesus Christ. We should make sure that everyone has opportunity I, I uh, my grandson, uh, who's I've talked about last time I was here, I think uh, he uh, he has such a burden for his 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 friends because his friends are, are not Christian. They're they're out of this world, and uh, he just wants them to be saved so badly. And he talks to them and talks to them and talks to them. I keep saying they have they're looking at how you're living. You're living like they are. They're not going to. They're not going to hear your message. But he's had some who've accepted, and it's a hallelujah day whenever he does that. But we should all have that kind of burden. We should all be about telling people about Jesus Christ. We should all be about sharing Christ with those that we know, uh, because it said the Bible doesn't say we should ask nicely. It says we should beg them that they should know Jesus Christ. That's pretty, it's a pretty emphatic word. And we need to understand that, that being intentional is important. If maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I know that we all were in that condition at one time. What Jesus has done is he died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He took the burden of my sin and he nailed it to the cross. And he died and went to, went to hell, I guess, I don't know. But he died and went to the grave. And after three days, he was resurrected to a new life. And as he came out of that grave, he promised that all who would believe on him would have eternal life. All who would believe on him would have their sins forgiven, have their sins forgotten, uh, have their, uh, their life restored, and would be blessed with his presence in their life every day. And to live without Christ is to be a slave to sin. But to be a Christian is to have Christ as our leader, as our guide, as our Savior. All who believe on Jesus Christ have eternal life. 
to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We sang a song about, I go to prepare a place for you. I think we sang that earlier. Uh, and I, at least it's going through my mind. Uh, God, Christ, went and prepared a place for us. And he calls us home to that place at the right time. So if you are here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I want to encourage you to make that choice today. You can't live the Christian life without Christ. The only way you can live that Christian life is if you trust Jesus as your personal Savior. What you have to do is you have to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive my sins and become my Lord. If you can say that, you can have eternal life. That's all it takes. Let's bow in prayer. Lord Jesus, we stop at this moment to ask you to guide our time of invitation. People who have a burden on their heart to trust you, we trust you this morning. Lord, I've been talking to Christians primarily, but the truth is that we were all lost before we came to know you. And we, we want each person here to have the opportunity to know you as their personal Savior. We pray, Lord Jesus, that if there are any here who don't know you, that today they will accept you as their Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you have been blessed by today's lessons from God's Word. And we invite you to contact us with any questions that you may have, especially questions regarding your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to help you with your walk of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and with your understanding of His Holy Word, the Bible. Our contact information is listed in the podcast show notes. May God richly bless you.